Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. It's Friday, November 9th, 2018, and you're listening to Up to Date. I'm Andre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. Uh, so there was an election this week in the U.S. or something. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it didn't make much news. And I, I get it. You're probably sick of midterm election recaps at this point. But I think it's important for us to talk about how science did in the context of this election, because that was a big storyline entering the midterms on Tuesday night. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from from the fact that the Democrats took the House, does that that seems like a good thing for the environment, at least. Yeah. You, you know, I think it's actually kind of mixed, depending on how you see it, because uh, on the surface, people are saying, OK, Democrats control the House means that, hey, let's start with the House Science Committee. That's going to be led by somebody who's going to believe in climate change. And that's a good thing. And generally speaking, people think that democratic control means better uh, outcomes for science. But the data doesn't necessarily bear that out. During Republican administration science budgets, if that's your sort of measure of how science is doing, have increased at about the same rate as it has during a Republican-led uh, Congresses. So we, there's really not anything there to say that there's a huge difference between the two parties in terms of what happens at the end of the day. The way they talk about science is really different, though. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm not surprised to hear you say that because a friend of mine who is a lobbyist uh, in Washington for science um, also worked for Rush Holt. And, you know, she told me that like when um, when Trump got elected, even or even before that, when the Republicans took over the House, even during the Obama administration, she said that we don't have to worry as much as we think we do, because Republicans traditionally are very generous to science in terms of the budget. Yeah. And that typically shows up in budgets for like the NIH, especially um, because their message is one of of health and one that uh, I think a lot of Americans and a lot of constituents in these um, uh, districts can really relate to. Uh, but to recap the night, um, here's sort of the good news, bad news. So we think the that the Democrats are going to elevate Eddie Bernice Johnson uh, to run the House Science Committee. Uh, she is an African-American woman with a background in nursing, and she immediately came out and released a statement saying that the House Science Committee is not going to worry about uh, addressing science issues that have been settled for the past 30 years, which I think is about climate change. So I see that as a positive meaning that the House Science Committee is probably going to be working on more forward looking issues. Uh, on sort of the downside of things, um, Carlos Curbelo, who's a Republican 
a representative um, from Florida lost his seat. And he was the co-leader of a bipartisan uh, caucus called the House Climate Solutions. And I think it, that's sort of um, a, a a loss in a sense, because I, I don't think we're going to get many climate policies passed, even with uh, a democratically controlled House without bipartisan support. It's just not going to pass the Senate and it's probably not going to pass the House either. So that's actually quite a loss. There's also John Culberson in Texas who lost, who is a major advocate of NASA's work, partially because some of that NASA work is in districts uh, next to or in his district in Texas. Uh, he lost to Democrat Lizzie Fletcher. We don't really know much about her perspectives on NASA investment, but I think that uh, will be interesting to watch. Overall, like depending on how you count, there's about 20 candidates for the House that have STEM backgrounds or STEM advocates. About seven or eight victories in there. There's a few sort of still outstanding. So not bad, not perfect, but with the surge in scientists and science advocates running uh, this year, uh, I I kind of had very low expectations of how many would actually win. Um, and most of them actually lost in the primary. So they, they weren't even running at this point. So do we have any scientists now in the House? I mean, we had one before, and now mm. we have seven. I mean, we, we technically yeah. had three before, but one um, sort of uh, basic science researcher. So Bill Foster, who's a Democrat uh, from Illinois, used to work at the Fermi Na uh, National Accelerator, uh, and he won his reelection. But now we're up to seven. There's everything ranging from uh, people with uh, dentist backgrounds, engineers, uh, and a couple scientists as well. Uh, most of them are Democratic uh, candidates, but there's still a couple Republicans as well. Back in 2013, Amy Arrett founded Madison Reed with a singular vision to revolutionize the way women color their hair. And in my house, my wife has been using Madison Reed for a couple years, and she absolutely loves it. You get salon quality hair color for a fraction of the price. Because Madison Reed is reinventing the way women color their hair by offering the quality of that salon color with the convenience of doing it at home and the affordability of at-home hair color. Plus, the way that everything ships together in nice, neat package means that you have a no-mess, no-fuss system to getting great hair color anytime. Experience beautiful, multi-dimensional hair color made in Italy delivered to your door on your schedule for under $25. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. And Madison Reed would like to give you 10% off plus free shipping on your first order with promo code MINDS. That's code M-I-N-D-S. Well, I want to switch to a completely different topic, uh, one that takes us to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Not because of any electoral outcome, um, but because uh, this this week is the Acoustical Society meeting uh, that joins both the Canadian Acoustical Society and the American Acoustical Society. And there's a really interesting paper that was presented that I want to talk about. And it's about moths. Moths in a, at an acoustical conference? Yeah. So what do you use uh, in your podcasting equipment to make you sound so awesome? Uh, I, I, I just have like a microphone and one of those filters that sits on top of it. 
Yeah, so I have this really cool um, kind of like backgroundy thing, this acoustical panel that's supposed to suck up all the ambient noise because I usually record in, in fairly live rooms. Um, and that reminded me a lot, actually, of, of what the moths now are doing in order to um, get away from bats or at least to, to become um, undetectable to bats. So, you know, you might remember that bats use echolocation to find their prey, which means they emit a sound and they wait for that sound to return to them. And then, you know, depending on how that sound returns, they can tell where their prey are. Well, Sure enough, their prey, uh, especially moths, have evolved a type of shield, an acoustical shield. Um, you can almost call it like a stealth shield, which sounds way cooler, um, in which they've, they've, the way that they sort of grow their fur or hair um, on their chests helps dampen the sound that the uh, bats are emitting. So they're essentially... Um, acting like this this kind of panel that I use um, to capture the sound and and not let it bounce back. They're noise-canceling moths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or stealth-coated moths, if you're depending on whether you're you wanna you wanna go more the noise-canceling route or um or you know the stealth route, which I what think what an insane so adaptation. We don't oftentimes hear about sound in nature um from a predator prey kind of uh, perspective but it totally makes sense right especially yeah. with bats who use echolocation and and surprisingly a lot of moths are actually deaf so it's not like they can hear the bats what? which you think would be this i know you think that, that would be important right um but yeah so uh, and it turns out that butterflies don't do this uh, so this is like this seems to be specific to moths so I just want to give a shout out to the researchers involved. So it looks like the um, study was led by Thomas Neal, who's from the University of Bristol in the UK. Um, and it's uh, it's a it's a, an abstract published by the Acoustical Society of America, but, you know, presumably will become a paper shortly. I have an even weirder story. I know what you're saying. How are you going to get weirder than moths? And I'm going to talk about the kilogram. Okay. So how do we know what one kilogram is? Oh, there must be like some Oh, this now now you're really taxing my scientific knowledge. Isn't I mean there might I mean we have to go down to like a gram, right? Isn't the gram the kind of standard and then there's probably some machine somewhere that weights it? Weirdly, the kilogram <laughs> is the actual standard. Um oh, Okay. And but yes, it is uh, there is a, a physical thing it's this ball that sits in a vault in France uh, that for the last 130 years has been the definition of what a kilogram is. And every few years, uh, I believe it's every 40 years, they take it out of its vault and measure it to calibrate weights around the world. Now, this is crazy. Uh, this is how measurements have been sort of calibrated for a long time. But the... Um, uh, the SI team, the the group behind like our standards and measures have been trying to move away from this for a long time because they really want more uh, measurable, definable ways of understanding these units as defined by constants of the universe. So something like the speed of light was defined as a really specific speed. It was 2000 or 299,792,000. 2,458 meters per second. And by doing so, and because meters is part of that constant, we now know what a meter is. It is the distance light travels in one 
over that speed of light. So they wanted to do the same thing with seconds, amperes, kelvins, moles, candelas, which is sort of a luminosity indication, and the kilogram. And so the kilogram is being retired in part because that actual ball that exists, which is like a palladium iridium alloy, actually sheds atoms over time. So the kilogram actually weighs less than what it did 130 years ago. Now, wait, wait, almost immeasurably less, but it weighs less. Good news for people trying to lose weight, right? You just have to like get older and like you're going to shave off weight no matter what. Yeah, you're going to have to wait almost a trillion years to actually lose any appreciable weight. But it, I mean, that's still I mean, it still works. Um, but in any case, they are retiring the ball and the kilogram is actually going to be defined by the Planck constant of the universe. So a kilogram is going to be defined by that number that is, you know, 6.63 times 10 to the minus 34th because its units is actually kilograms per meter, uh, kilogram meters squared per second. Wow. So who gets to have the ball? I actually don't know where the ball is going. That's a great question. They're going to be voting on this. And if this is approved, the changes go into effect May 2019. I kind of hope the ball shows up at like a, a Sotheby's auction and we have like a bidding war over the kilogram. Yeah. And then maybe Banksy will make it disappear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for Up to Date. Uh, join us next week and we'll talk to you then. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.